just like that, the final hour is here for the Wednesday edition of Hot Mike with Hunt and Withrow across the Outkick Network. Glad you're with us if you're streaming the show live or listening across this great radio station. Say thank you. Chad, a well-deserved day off and the rest of the week off as he gets some rest and relaxation, uh, recharging for the upcoming football preview month that is the month of August. Uh, Alvin Kamara, uh, who told us, told media in, in New Orleans, didn't know about his availability. Hey, ask me on August 2nd. Ask me around August 2nd or 3rd. Well, August 2nd has arrived, and reports are that he expects to be suspended. He's meeting with Roger Goodell today, um, and then uh, I believe that was this morning, and then right as we started the show a couple of hours ago, uh, there was uh, news that he was uh, expected to be suspended by Goodell uh, for the uh, assault battery charges that took place uh, last year, January of last year out in Vegas for the Pro Bowl. He has since settled that. He, he, was, he pleaded no contest. And because it's now settled in the court system, Goodell can now uh, hand down a suspension, which is certainly likely. Um, News across college football, Florida State is threatening to leave the ACC. That's coming from the school president and a trustee for Florida State University. Uh, they want more money in their media deal than what, say, NC State would receive or what you might see at Virginia. They want more. So does Clemson. How does Clemson respond to the, the threats that Brett McMurphy has uh, quoted from the school president just simply says, hey, we're, we don't want to leave the ACC, but we will if we have to. I'm summarizing this, but uh, Richard McCullough, the president, says they're not satisfied with their current situation, and they need a major change in revenue distribution within the conference. I would maintain that Oregon and Washington have to be thinking the exact same thing moving forward if they stick around in the Pac-12 while they wait on the Big Ten. I wouldn't sign anything. I wouldn't sign a grant of rights and, and agree to any media deal that's going to prohibit some, some type of move that could end up costing something uh, to get out of a deal with Apple TV+, Plus, which is the reported media partner for the conference. Uh, if you can leave right now at zero penalty, just like Colorado did, now is the time to pair up, if you can, and abandon ship. Uh, Reference earlier, the trade deadline for Major League Baseball was yesterday. I'd be looking at a deadline this week if I'm one of these member institutions. Now, you need a partner. You need a conference to also set you up with the un unsaid, unspoken invite, and then you apply and you get the formal vote and the invitation, just like Colorado went through last week. But Oregon has to be thinking this. Washington, Utah. Uh, reports where they're not picking up the phone when the Big 12 is trying to call them uh, because they don't want to, it to be perceived as Utah's following their, their big rival, BYU, to the new conference. They're going to stay put if they can. I don't know how you do that now. I don't know how it's feasible to stay afloat. And you could argue that the Big 12 is not going to do very well either if the Big 10 and the, the SEC form some super conference. 
uh, especially if they're going to add teams like Clemson and Florida State that would be willing to pay in installments upwards of $30 million per season to reach the buyout that's around $300 million that would be negotiated down, according to college football reporters, uh, with, to, to leave the ACC and, and the, the grant of rights. All that being said, even schools like Arizona State, Arizona, they've got to got a bell while you can. Now's the time. The time for being patient while I commend you for wanting to stick with your conference on the West Coast. There's no more patience now. Uh, patience has dissolved if I'm anyone that's listening to George Klavikov try to kick the can down the road yet again on any certain details of what would be a ceiling for subscriptions and what could you could get annually versus what the floor is and what you're guaranteed. I, I would know I'm guaranteed 31.4 million from the Big 12 every year. That's more than what I'm guaranteed on an annual basis if subscriptions go down because Oregon and Washington bail. Davey, what do you make of the Florida State news and then paired with what we think will happen with Oregon and Washington because uh, Dan Wetzel reported earlier today that the Big Ten presidents, some of the presidents have uh, started to chat about possibly, the window's been cracked, possibly opening the door for Oregon and Washington to get in sooner than what had been reported, which is the Big Ten wanted to wait a year, see how USC and UCLA pan out as they enter the conference officially next year, and then go forward with, with expansion. The time for expansion might be now if you can get both of those schools. Uh, for starters, I love a good arms race. So it's just Big 12. Uh, if, if now's their time to move on who they want, especially the Florida State news adding yeah. into that. So it, it just kind of could possibly drive up that price a little bit more as far as what I would have to give you to bring you in. Because it, it seems as though the, these schools are wanting to be somewhat loyal to the conference. They're, they're trying in, like, to be. Outside of Florida State. Yeah. I mean, they've just said what they did. But it, it just – it helps you whenever you got a lot more options on the table. I, I am curious if the report from Wetzel is more so from the Oregon and Washington side of things where they're just like, hey, this, the Big Ten saying we're actually going to go and look at you just to maybe kind of help that idea. And I, again, oh, geographic like region doesn't matter posturing anymore. Posturing, you're saying? Yeah. So it's just making it more of an idea that, hey, we actually have this interest that might not be there, but it might actually generate some interest by saying there's some interest here. Uh, his, his tweet from earlier today, Wetzel, a group of Big Ten presidents have started to explore discussions on expansion okay. in light of Pac-12 uncertainty. Industry sources tell Yahoo Sports. So he's, he's quoting his source, and he's not uh, – industry can mean whatever you want it to be, I guess. Uh, he, he says the focus is on possibly adding Oregon and Washington to move to 18 members. Or Cal and Stanford could also be included in this consideration to get to 20. And then if you do that, does the SEC come in and say, hey, I mean, the, the goal ultimately is to get to uh, 16 super six, two 16-team super conferences that are split up into four uh, divisions in each conference, and then you play those two teams twice a year, and you have 17 games a season, and then ultimately you have seven teams make the playoff, and they both play in a Super Bowl. So that's the ultimate goal here. Well, um, real quick, Wessel also puts out, uh, in addition to that original tweet, the Big Ten may choose to wait and see what happens with other Pac-12 members, Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, and the Big 12. 
before deciding if they want to expand and continue to expand now as opposed to sit around and wait a year, uh, which they had the luxury to do, but not after what we've seen happen with the media contracts with the Pac-12. Yeah. Uh, Love the entertainment value. What is going on with Bryce Young? And uh, he's referencing whatever he did for um, DoorDash, I think, at Alabama. Yes, so to set this clip up, number one overall pick, Bryce Young, went to the Carolina Panthers, and uh, he was answering some questions with media. And somebody brought up, I wish I could attribute the the reporter, but I'm not sure who exactly asked the question, uh, saying that, Bryce, is it true that you were working as a DoorDash driver during your freshman year at Alabama? Um, I did that for a while, um, kind of from when I, I guess from when I got there and got my, like, got my feet on the, like, ground as far as, like, when I first got there, I, I didn't really, I was just, you know, learning the, the playbook and everything, but I guess after that first initial, like, we went back for COVID, so, like, after that, um, I was, yeah, I was, I was driving for DoorDash, and, um, honestly, I would have, like, a mask on and a hoodie. And then I would only really accept the, like, drop it at my door orders. So for the most part, I didn't really get, I never really got recognized or anything. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, it was before NIL. So, you know, I was, I just, you know, want to have, just, you know, you want to have a little extra, extra money, you know. So, uh, yeah, I feel like a lot of people have, have done it. So so my, my big thing here is, one, NIL is great. So I don't want whatever I say after that to kind of go here. We're talking about Bryce Young, who was the number one player coming out of high school in the entire country, position, state, you name it. He was number one overall. And so we're talking about Alabama football. He's saying he needed more money. This kid's getting paid under the table as is. The reason he did this is because it was 2020 and we were on a shutdown, so he was bored, so he decided, you know what, I'm going to go out and do this. The people that are now taking this story and saying, like, wow, it's so great we have NIL and look at this example. No, this is a terrible example. Now, if you would have done this with a backup long snapper, I would be like, yeah, that makes a little bit more sense. But when we're talking about the number one quarterback in the country at one of the most prestigious football programs in the entirety of the sport, I don't believe it. I know how the Alabama program works. You go look at any of the assistants that have branched off. One in particular went to the University of Tennessee. We saw how he ran that program and all the news that came out about that. Trust me, Bryce Young was not hurting for money. He did it because he was bored, not because he needed some extra cash on the side. Yeah, props to him for getting outside and do you know, getting some fresh air during 2020. That's yeah, if any, anything that's kind of like a and, and then saying like, oh, I'd make sure I, w- I would wear a mask so people wouldn't recognize. You me think he? Uh, you think he uh, reamed out the you know the mansion that he delivered to for only tipping five dollars on a twenty dollar pizza? Yeah. Well, the joke was um, I, I saw several people make this, but he actually only delivered to Alabama boosters and the tips were usually about a hundred thousand dollars each time. So uh, well, take hey Bryce, it for what it's around. worth. Stick around, Bryce. Uh, by all accounts, he's having a nice start to camp, but I mean, it's hard not to whenever you're the number one overall pick and all eyes are on you. And I mean, it would also be hard to see him behind that offensive line, uh, in the pros now. Um, speaking of Bama, we'll, we'll tie in a, a former Bama coach to Texas in a moment. But Steve Sarkeesian, the uh, uh, former coordinator for Alabama, um, says that Texas and the Longhorns program on a mission in 2023. Of course, the final year in the Big 12, they are selected, I believe for the first time in a handful of years, selected to win the conference uh, by the preseason media poll. 
uh, which surprised me that they weren't picked earlier than this uh, from, the, I think the last time was 2015 or 2014. It's been a while. Did he call it rat poison? He didn't call it rat poison. Okay. He said they're on a mission to, to prove some doubters wrong and go out on top and avenge some losses. Uh, I think, I mean, he's got to be on a mission because he's on the hot seat. If I'm Texas and I know what the expectations are uh, for the Longhorn football program, uh, six or seven wins is not going to cut it in the final year in the Big 12 currently. Uh, if I'm seeing that, I'm thinking, how are we about to go compete with Arch Manning and others that are coming in in the SEC starting in 2024? That would be my line of thinking. I, I've uh, Right after the season, reports were he needs to be around the eight-win mark minimum to be retained. I, I buy that more and more, considering the expectations and the fact that at the highest level of college football, fan bases and universities eat their own. You've only got a short amount of time at the top spots. And when it comes to the, the money in the program and the money in athletics there, that's immediately one of the top programs, not just in the Big 12. It's going to be in the SEC. They're among the top programs you think about in college football, period. Sarkeesian's got to win more than just the average allotment of games. And that's, you know, they're opening up against Rice. They're uh, going to play in week three or four, uh, future Pac-12 member Wyoming. Uh, they, they've got winnable games here that they can't just drop if they're trying to actually take a step forward as they head to a much better conference with Oklahoma. Let me ask you this, Hutton. You can put your AD hat on for this one, but if, if you're the Texas AD, and let's say you have a below-average season, but you still get to that 7-8 win range, are you looking to cut bait with Sark and have a brand-new coach as you enter a new conference, or would you want to hang on at least one year for that kind of transitional period? Well, it, just, it just depends on who the coach is um, that's willing to join. I'd also say, uh, if I'm the AD, it's not if you lose and you only win. It's not if you win eight games. It's how did you lose the others, right? That, and who did you lose to? Not if you lose, but how you lost. That all factors in, and uh, certainly injuries and other things. But they, it, the time is now with yours to take a massive step forward. And, I mean, you want to keep a recruiting class and everyone together, uh, that includes Arch Manning, which is a, a brand in and of himself. Not just Texas, but Manning. I'm trying to capitalize on that. Sark should be able to do it, though. I mean, they've, they've greatly improved with their recruiting. So, and again, the Big 12. It's not, it's not the same league that they're about to enter. So, it's also, I think it's a similar spot to what Florida's facing. Next year, not this year. I don't know if you agree with that, but the, the Florida Gators don't sit around and wait either. For for especially when South Carolina's, you know, winning no. at a better rate than the well, Gator program. And to not get too into the weeds, but Florida's at least scheduling opponents you would want to see. They've they've got Miami, Florida State, UCF coming yeah. up. So they they got a tough road to hoe, but we'll see what happens with them. Because Billy Napier, yeah, it's uh Graham Mertz is gonna determine a lot about how his tenure looks moving forward. Uh, Jeff Banks, former uh, last coach to Alabama, now he's the highest paid special teams coach in college football. Sark made him that. Uh, giving Alabama some bulletin board material, he's asked uh, about uh, facing Alabama moving forward. What, he compared it to, oh, it's no, on the road, it's going to be no different than playing at Kansas. Uh, okay. Good luck with that. 
highest paid special teams coach, bulletin board material for Saban, who's always looking for a little motivation. And, uh, you know, that, that game's not, he's not going to have a problem trying to keep the students in their seats, like he's complained about with students leaving early after clamoring for free tickets to get in Bryant-Denny Stadium. That place will be hopping. And then you also have the real UT. I wanted someone there to complain about the real UT not being Tennessee. It's all about 2024 right now in college football. 23 about to kick off. Same for the NFL. Year one to year two wide receivers. Who's about to have the biggest jump? Cynthia Freeland, analytics expert at NFL Network, joins us next. Glad you're with us as Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow rolls on across the Outkick Network. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. I've really enjoyed the wraparound coverage NFL Network has, and they've done this for years now at NFL Training Camp, but also NFL Plus. Uh, you can find our next guest on both platforms. Cynthia Freeland, analytics expert, joins us. Always enjoy the, the chats with you, Cynthia. Thanks for uh, being on the show today. Always fun to be on. I want to come to Nashville and have beer, though. Let's do it. Uh, so beer, not moonshine. <laughs> well, we could do moonshine. We could do <laughs> beer, moonshine, beer, moonshine, but whatever, all of it. Uh, so, I, oh, and by the way, we'll, we'll cheers anytime. You, you want to stop by, just let us know. Um, I'm, I'm curious. So we always discuss the quarterbacks year one to year two, the big jump for what it, the first true offseason can mean really at any position. Uh, we saw some breakout players at wide receiver during their rookie years last year. I know, uh, you've taken a deep dive on which wide receivers going into year two could have the the biggest jump, the best boost going into year two. Where do you start with this? And if you don't mind, give some background on maybe how you're looking at this through the numbers. Sure. So I'm using wind share, which also includes a wide receiver's impact when they're not the subject of the pass, meaning are they drawing away coverages? Okay. Are they running the routes that are scary for other defenders? So it's not just fantasy numbers. It's also kind of the reality numbers that help drive first downs and touchdowns, which help win games. And by the way, the first thing I did, I had to throw out Garrett Wilson because he was already so awesome. And I also had to throw out Chris Olave because he was too awesome as well. So if they would get any better, like, they they just don't have as much room for improvement as some of these other guys. So that's kind of the place that we started. Yeah, we may we may see. And I, I'm with you on those on those two. We may see uh, the the players we're about to chat about uh, take a big jump and come out of nowhere, so to speak. Uh, John Mechie, uh, who was diagnosed with leukemia, uh, I don't, mm -hmm. a couple of days, maybe a week or so, two weeks after Houston drafted him, uh, he's back and he's uh, back, baby. For, for what he was supposed to mean. For Houston's offense last year, knowing that they're CJ Stroud's there now and how they're going to try to implement him into the offense. Uh, I, I hope he, I want him to succeed. I know you do too. Same. But beyond that, how are you reading into what he could mean for a Houston offense that's just trying to find a spark? Well, obviously we have to look at his college data because we don't have any NFL data to look at, but you see at Alabama and this award-winning championship team, right? Meaning, you know, lots of awards across the entire team. 
He was a guy who lined up both on the inside and the outside. So slot and out wide, which means he's very versatile. If you look at the game specifically, like the, the most competitive game. So look at that Georgia game. Obviously, that's kind of a big deal. Those SEC games in general. He was the guy they turned to to earn first downs and touchdowns. In fact, if you look at that Georgia game specifically, that's one where he really broke out and showed you the kind of different routes he could run. So, yes, he had a drop in the game, but we we were not going to talk about that. But he also had a touchdown, and he created five first downs. So that's a really efficient metric. That means they trust him. They look to him in really important situations. And I think that's going to be something where once the chemistry is formed with C.J. Stroud, that's the kind of guy we're looking at again. Uh, two other receivers with new quarterbacks uh, compared to the, the normal starter. Uh, first in Atlanta, Mariota started the majority of the season. Now Desmond Ritter comes in. Now he's the starter. Uh, Drake London is there, and they, they threw a lot to him. Are you basing it off of just the sheer number of opportunities he has within Arthur Smith's offense, or is it more than that? Yeah, so Drake London, unfortunately, and I say this like, because it's not necessarily great to have that much volume because it's not always quality volume. He was forced to do a lot, which meant you're not going to get the best out of him. Remember, there was a stretch during the season where there was lots of injuries. Remember, Kyle Pitts went down. We were expecting a lot from him, et cetera. And of course, they didn't have Calvin Ridley last year, and they didn't have the equity from Calvin Ridley like they do this year. So when I'm looking at Drake London and his ability to really create a lot of, like, he can come down with a ball in horrible situations. And I, I say that to compliment him, not to, to put down anyone else. If he has even a little bit better situation. And remember, this is a team that was one of the most efficient rushing teams. And then they got B. John Robinson, who's incredibly efficient as well. So now it's really going to come down to, can Desmond Ritter get him the ball in situations with higher probability passes? And my math says yet, yes, in large part, because number one, they get Kyle Pitts back. Hopefully we're, but you know, I don't, I'm not a doctor, so I can't diagnose that, but it seems like also it signs point to yes. Then they get Bijan Robinson. And then of course the defense actually got better, which means you're not going to be throwing these crazy situations late in games where like, like, you know, you're, you're, it's not a Hail Mary, but it's, you know, whatever the version of a Hail Mary when you're not throwing it 60 yards down the field is. Uh, I don't know if the defense can get much worse. The only way to go is up in Atlanta for, uh, defensively. Uh, Christian Watson is on your list. I, I'm curious about this because yeah. he goes from Aaron Rodgers to Jordan Love. Uh, is, is this just, <sighs> is this because things just didn't get off to a great start between him and Rodgers? Is it more about, it's time for him to really put up what he did in college and live up to expectation. Well, it's more about the fact that, remember, this isn't like fantasy numbers. So this is his impact. He's going to draw away those number one coverages and create better opportunities for his teammates. That's the first thing. The second thing is if you look over the history of the NFL in the past eight seasons, it's a good number. That's a good amount of years because, you know, we've seen tight ends and running backs both be used completely differently over that time span. So when you're looking at those two things together, you kind of got to say, what are the recipes for success for a quarterback who hasn't taken very many snaps, right? So obviously Jordan Love hasn't taken very many snaps and you kind of kind of treat him more like a rookie or at least an unproven guy. And one play action is the thing that works really well. And they're set up pretty well to have play action work out. And two, it's all about yak using contested catches. So can you in traffic, catch the ball, come down with it and keep your feet moving. And Christian Watson 
was very good at that. He had a ton of contested catches and he did a very good job of keeping those feet going. And that's one thing that will be very helpful for him going forward. Cynthia Freeland, our guest, uh, as we discuss all things NFL and analytics here on Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow. Uh, from the running back perspective, just broad terms, uh, we're, uh, big mm-hmm. headlines there, right? Um, so the NFL has, and they maintain, and it's hard to disagree, It's they can find guys to play that role and they can find production. Maybe not top-tier production like a Saquon Barkley uh, or a Josh Jacobs that we saw last year, Derrick Henry, but they can find one or two guys to at least get to a point of playing a, a balanced offense. Are there examples of this across the league that you immediately think of? Instead of paying the running back, they're paying three guys, two guys, where it's it's a passing league, but it's also, I mean, the last few Super Bowl winners haven't been through the run, but they have led the Super Bowl in rushing against their opponent. I, there's still an important aspect to it, but it's not nearly as impactful as it once was. Yeah, it's we've seen it be diminished in terms of where it's prioritized pay-wise, but the truth is is the cap's gone up every single year, but it went up about 8%, and I think people were expecting the cap to go up more. And you know what quarterback salaries have gone up by? Yeah, a whole lot more than 8%. So just by virtue of the market for quarterbacks growing faster than the salary cap is as a percentage, you're going to get someone who has to get squeezed. And as of right now, it's most notably those running backs. And the reality is, is we've seen a lot of injuries to the position. We've seen a lot of weird stuff you you the reason that derrick henry is like potentially not like a human and potentially an alien mm-hmm. is because he it does buck that trend so 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 much and being far more or less injured than he is injured but if you look at a lot of the running backs get a lot of injuries and that's where things don't match up and the other thing that's sort of happening i don't actually know if we'll keep seeing this kind of continue trend wise but i think that Unfortunately, deals were structured by older GMs in a much different way. And we're kind of seeing those deals be sussed out now, right? Like you're seeing it as the quarterback market's going up and these legacy contracts are coming to an end and you have a new wave of GMs. It's kind of like this bubble bursting and will eventually, you know, what is it like Adam Smith, invisible hand, the market will fix itself on this one. But unfortunately, it's just at the moment when that bubble is popping. Yeah. And I mean, they're also playing a position that's not protected you know, it's the one spot on the field where you can hit the guy anytime you want to, at practically any angle, uh, and there's there's uh, contact. Other players are protected in some ways. The running back is not, and that leads to further injury and a, a less less time to make the impactful moments in a career. Uh, Nathaniel Hackett has been impactful when he's paired with Aaron Rodgers. What was Rodgers yep. like with him in Green Bay versus last year without him? And... Hackett's ability to, you know, have the king of New York, as we refer to him here, Aaron Rodgers, <laughs> uh, come to his defense. Rodgers certainly loves the guy. And that's there's a reason why Denver hired him last year, trying to lure him there. Now he's in New York, and the OC happens to be Nathaniel Hackett. Yeah, look, I think that the, there's people who, we've all had, like, bosses that work really well for us, but you know, actually three of my best friends have all worked for the same boss after I worked for him. And we've all had good examples and good results, but we're very similar with all of my friends from business school. If you had done it with my friends from high school or my friends from college, even 
it would be different results. So at the end of the day, I, I love that Aaron Rodgers is coming to his defense. Keep my coach's name out of your mouth. I love it. It's funny, but I love all of that. But the truth is, is, you know, there's, we've seen so many coordinators who have exceptional quarterbacks that go to different teams. And then, you know, look like Russell Wilson asked for a lot of special treatment. It's not even like he was like a regular quarterback, right? Like that could be shaped and molded. Yet an office. That's just the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> There's, I'm sure if we, if we really dug into it, we'd see some things that, you know, a Sean Payton could probably help correct because of his name and the, the weight behind that. But maybe someone like Nathaniel Hackett who had been with Aaron Rodgers for so long and Rodgers is a worker. Rodgers is going to come in there and, you know, he's, I one time asked him like how many things he thinks about before the snap happens, like from when, you know, he calls a play to the, like to it really being released in his hands. And it's, I think he thinks about more things between that time than like most people think about in a day. So this is a special guy. This is like, you know, Tom Brady's like that too. It doesn't work with everyone the same way and finding that chemistry and the right ability to communicate, like communications, everything. So clearly I think, I don't know. I, I, I kind of like the, the drama. It's like, it's a silly, it's not real. So I, I mean, keep this type of drama. Like this is just not a real thing. So like, let's just do the, the fake, drama instead of like real drama Let, let's stay with that i think it's so important keep his name out of his mouth yeah. I, I think it's important to note too that sean payton chose russell wilson uh he could have continued doing what he was doing for another year and wait for other opportunities and he didn't yeah. he, he took the denver gig knowing what he saw a year ago payton is uh again chose russell wilson and uh, had other opportunities was driving up the price I think it's also important to note, we know who's in charge there. It's Sean Payton. Because not only did he take shots at Nathaniel Hackett, which were absolutely true, within that same interview, he was asked about uh, the, the, the rules being lax. Uh, one specific one, though, uh, where they were strict, they didn't allow Wilson to bring his personal quarterback coach with him, uh, which Sean Payton blamed on the organization, not just... Nathaniel Hackett, but those in the front office, uh, specifically uh, from the president uh, down to the general manager. So I, I think there are, are reasons to believe that it's Sean Payton that's calling the shots within the organization, despite uh, George Payton, the general manager, making some of those draft picks for one of the highest paid coaches now in the NFL, uh, Sean Payton. Uh, coming up, we will... Uh, wrap up the show with some rapid fire headlines, including Florida state and their threat. I don't think it's a veiled one that they are wanting to leave the ACC unless they get more money in their grant of rights. Uh, it's interesting because Clemson is also within this discussion, or at least they were uh, a month or two ago. And at least on Florida state's behalf, they're going public with it from the president and a trustee at the university saying we need more or we have to consider leaving. We, we don't want to leave, but we're, we're going to leave. And the trustee even took it a step further by saying uh, it's not a matter of if, but when and with which conference we're going to move to. Uh, saying, hey, come one, come all. The buyout is roughly $300 million, according to reports, that could be negotiated down. I don't know why the ACC would negotiate that down. Last year, it was reported the buyout for Florida State would be around $500 million. 
uh, and within the negotiated buyout, they'd have annual payments of $30 million, not just one lump sum. Craziness in college football. We'll start there when we return on Hot Mike. Thanks to all our great guests today. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow rolls on. Big show planned for the Thursday edition. Details coming up there. Um, so Florida State is threatening to leave the ACC if they don't get more money. That's not going to work itself out anytime soon. At least I wouldn't expect if they brought this up at their ACC uh, spring meetings. And we haven't heard much about it since. But we did hear from Jim Phillips, who said that the ACC is open to further conference expansion, that they're, the door's open and they're looking at all possible scenarios. Oregon and Washington were mentioned. That doesn't make sense for the ACC, uh, for them to join the ACC, um, just based on the media payouts. If Florida State's unhappy, why would Oregon join the ACC currently if they have a grant of rights that's in place through 2036 based on the media contract that's in place. Um, Big Ten makes a, a lot more sense. Uh, Dan Wetzel uh, reported from Yahoo that the Big Ten, they're going back to uh, the option of adding Oregon and Washington. While nothing's imminent, they're at least considering it yet again after reports where the door was closed at least until after uh, USC and UCLA joined the conference officially in 2024. Wetzel says that, hey, we're, we're hearing through his industry sources uh, and through Yahoo that, in fact, they're at least considering a group of presidents in the Big Ten and chancellors talking about the possibility of Oregon and Washington, maybe even Cal or Stanford. Uh, news happens fast, uh, especially uh, this time of year in conference realignment. Maybe we have more. Uh, Wetzel's saying, though, hey, don't hold your breath on this. Nothing's going to happen fast. They're just getting back to the drawing board on what could be considered if things shake out the way we expect them to with the Pac-12 and who, who the Big 12 decides to add. Is it one more school or is it three? Is it Arizona or is it Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah to even out the number, but also add the programs that you want to add to the Big 12 to get as strong as possible based on the fact that the Pac-12 member institutions that uh, can move, can move right now without a buyout, without a financial penalty, free to roam, free for invitation. And the Big 12, my guess is, continues to do that uh, um, unless they get to a spot where they start considering UConn instead of Utah, I would head to the Utes, even though they're not picking up the phone. Time to pick up the phone if I'm at Utah. Um, so Davey Hudson uh, rejoins the show. So Michigan, by the way, uh, Jim Harbaugh said that he believes they're going to set the record next year in the NFL draft. He believes 20 players from Michigan's roster will be drafted into the NFL. Yeah, I'm calling BS. So, yeah, right. Um, I, I'm thinking. I'm thinking about this story as I see what has been retweeted and gone viral on 
uh, Elijah Woods post or Elijah Elijah Woods Elijah Dotson's post of the the meal at the big house, which is like chicken tenders, a hot dog, mac and cheese, and what looks to be a stale chocolate chip cookie. Hud, I think you're, over, you're overselling this, by the way. I mean, it. If you look at this, this is worse than what they served at like your middle school lunch. This uh, not at my middle school. Do you I've have ate, good food? I had, no, I had oh, way worse than this. Way worse. I mean, it just looks so bland. And we're talking about programs that spend millions and millions of dollars on getting these top-rated recruits, and this is what they're treating them to. Well, the I, best the best response I, I understand because normally at the the training table you're going to get state of the art, yeah, stuff. They're, Michigan's got to have the smoothie machine, you know, the smoothie uh, counter. Surely, I, I lived in the athletic dorm my freshman year at UT, and on like Wednesday nights I had New York strip and shrimp. Medium plus. Yeah, I, I actually, uh, I, I wish I could tell them how to cook it back then, but this compared to. What? What's the best thing on the plate? I would say the mac and cheese is the best. I don't eat cheese. I'm weird. So, okay. So, what, are you going hot dog or probably chicken tender? just a chicken tender? I don't know that hot dog. Like, I, it doesn't look like it's beef. I can tell you that much. Yeah. I don't know. What, I, I stay what's away going from hot there. dogs from stadiums, anywhere. But I mean, he's he's tweeting it out like this is some luxury. Like Big House Eats is the caption. I just I figured you know you're trying to get these top recruits. You might go a little above and beyond, but. They apparently are doing something right on the recruiting trail. You got, oh, yeah, they are. You got to give the tour and you show the. Oh, they're handing out burgers apparently instead of the hot dogs. That was mm. what one Buckeyes fan retweeted and said. Now I get why Harbaugh was buying a recruit a burger, and it's because of this spread. Uh, they give the tour of what you can have, and then they show you what you currently have at your high school, which is this lunch. And I, 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 I probably had this on one of my. Uh, what, it, what was the, like, in-service or whatever it was for incoming freshmen at college? You had to go for, like, a, a tour day or whatever? Oh, yeah, that was... Not um, in-service, but something. Orientation. Orientation, thank you. Um, I probably had something similar to this a couple of times, touring different different colleges. They don't care about the people that could leave. You got to sign on the dotted line, David. Once you get it, they'll, they'll up the ante a little bit, but uh, I, I don't know. I would not be walking away impressed. So uh, F1 in Las Vegas. Vegas doesn't seem too impressed with F1 and the restrictions and the threats that are ongoing for the Formula One race uh, in Vegas. So this is coming up in September or October, I believe. The- uh, actually, November. November, okay. Yeah. So we got, we got a little bit of time here. Yeah, so there are... Of course, all the casinos, but different places where you have a pretty good view of what the course layout is going to be, and they're selling the opportunity to, uh, if you stay at this casino, if you stay at this hotel, you're going to have an option to you know, go to the roof and check out what's going to be a, an amazing uh, course there in, in Las Vegas down the Strip. But the way F1 is approaching it, they are going to set up... Um, different ways to block the view of certain uh, businesses, casinos, hotels that are going to market this as exclusive and maybe cheaper than buying a ticket. 
they're going to block the view of the hotels or the casinos that don't comply with the fees that F1 expects Vegas to pay in order to offer this. And they're doing this in a similar fashion to here at Sixth and Peabody if they wanted to uh, run the, the UFC pay-per-view this weekend or last weekend. It's based on capacity, not based on who pays to watch it. And it's not just for one TV. It's the capacity of the bar. Same would go and how F1 is treating it, just to a totally different level. For a restaurant or club with 1,500 seats, the tab that F1 expects you to pay is $2.2 million for that race. Meanwhile, uh, if you have you know, just a, a venue that wants the licensing rights in order to, to show the race or have a view of the course, but you don't have uh, a big capacity, it's like $1,500 per head for licensing rights in your business. So, it's ridiculous. And somehow they, they say they're going to be able to block the view of those that don't comply. Yeah. I, I mean, like, what's the plan? Are they going like the uh, SEC college football where you get a towel to like stand in front of the know. injured yeah. player? Yeah. I mean, I think they're threatening by like uh, putting up like barricades or they will obstruct the view by raising the grandstands a bit and then having some type of uh, tarp or something that's set up. It won't, it's not going to look that bad. It can't. It's the, I mean, there are tons yeah. of money that's being poured in here. But there, there are ways to obscure the view. I don't think they can completely block it. No, and right now they have not sold out of the event. And right. uh, it looks as though, so you remember when they had the Miami Grand Prix, that was going for the three-day package of $4,600. Apparently in Vegas it is around $6,650 for the full package. So it is an expensive ticket to say the least. Well, they they are. Uh, I mean, they're racing right down the strip, based on the course that I see. Um, it's going to be hard to block that entire thing. They'll find a way to do it. Saudi money and the money involved with all these sponsors, man. I think that. I mean, that would be for me. I would go to Vegas trying to pull off what the casinos and hotels are doing, where you want to stay there. You're going there to gamble, and then you you're staying at the hotel that you feel like would have a great vantage point uh, instead of just buying the ticket that you're mentioning that you would have to buy in Miami. Uh, Davey, as we wrap up today, what well, fact of the day that yes. uh, we had to, to push to the final segment, what are you going with today? So, you know, every day, this is something we do. We look at the calendar and we're like, all right, well, today's August 2nd, but you ever thought about like how that even came about? And yes, you look at it and you know that, all right, well, there's 365 days in a year, wasn't always like that. And we're tracking the Earth's revolution around the sun. But if you go back, my fact of the day is before we had the Gregorian calendar, we had the Julian calendar. And before that, we had the ancient Roman calendar. So the ancient Roman calendar is pretty much the start of what we based everything off of that we know today. And during ancient Rome, you look at it, there were only 10 months. And it was based off of a lunar cycle. So you would look at the moon as far as the phases. And that's how they came up with all right, we're going to go and like we'll have roughly 29 days for this month, 31 days for this month. So we initially, the last two months that were added to the Roman calendar, do you have a, an idea of what those months are? I, I would say the final months of the calendar. I would say November and December that would have been my guess. See, that, that's, what I was, that's, not it. that's what I was thinking. Or I might have thought uh, August and July because those were named after Julius Caesar and uh, 
Augustus Caesar, so I was thinking maybe those came last, but it's actually January and February, the last two months that were added to the end of the year, but we now view those as the beginning of the year because what they used to do was the beginning of the year started in March, and if you look at the, um, I believe it's the uh, vernal equinox, which is the first day of spring, that started in March, and the ancient Romans, they technically had months for uh, the winter, but those were considered dead months because there was no government business happening or military was taking place. So that was the interesting thing that happened there. And I just think it's really fascinating to look at how we eventually got to the Gregorian calendar, which I'll, I'll save that one for uh, tomorrow. I know I'm leaving you on a cliffhanger with that. But it's it's interesting that you go to... Well, they also figured out the, you know, the 365-day calendar and the orbit right like that some of that had to be based on because they did the calculations for leap year so uh, that because it's 365.25 is approximately what it is um and then they they will actually they calculated when we will actually skip the leap year in order to keep the calendar going yes in the direction we're going and it's the most accurate we could possibly be with yes. this right and so whenever uh julius caesar asked them to redo the calendar because obviously there were several problems and not everything synced up. You kind of got out of whack as far as the seasons because we're more or less tracking the seasons, not so much the right. Earth's rotation around the sun or revolution around the sun. Um, the Julian calendar was the first that implemented the leap year system. And so uh, whenever that happened, it ultimately was putting too many days in the calendar, and that's where the Gregorian calendar came into play to fix that correction, but that would take another 1,500 years. Because they didn't have that built in. Uh, because they, we skipped the leap year in the year 2000, but we didn't in 1700, 1800, 1900. Correct. So, so that also played a factor. I'm fascinated by how they figured all this stuff out. Like, the next time we will skip will be the year 2100 will be the next time they skip a leap year. So does so, it... So... Yeah, we can get more in the weeds on this. This is this is the type of stuff that I would sit around watching on YouTube. It's I, I mean I, I do a, think it's, it's interesting. It's a wormhole it's, that I would go down. Yeah, uh, and uh, what's what's also weird is so like September, October, November, and December. Well, September actually translates to oh gosh, I think it's it's month six, okay. but. I'll we added, yeah, no, sorry, month seven, <laughs> month seven. But when we added January and February, it bumped it back two months. So now it's all out of whack. What I do know, uh, tomorrow's show translates to Jason McCourty, Michael McHenry, Josh Pate, and Ben Maller. Hope you'll join us three o'clock Eastern for Hot Mike with Hutton Withrow.